Happy New Year, everyone. It's really great to, to be here together today and to be able to have this first time together in 2020. Uh, this is my 36th time of seeing in a new year with this church family, uh, and it is an absolute joy to be able to enter into a new year with you. Uh, I've got much to give thanks to God for, for the year that's been, but I'm looking forward with great hope and expectation for the year that is to come as well. Um, I think Lou alluded to it at the start really helpfully that oftentimes when a new year comes around, we, uh, there's a lot that kind of, we, we, we're almost bombarded with at times in terms of uh, change, things that are new. We might see it on adverts on the telly or uh, on the front of magazines, this idea maybe of like new year, new you, kind of what changes are you going to put in place this year? And there can almost be this, this pressure of always looking for, for what's new and what's next. And, and actually in some ways that can be a little bit, unsettling. Uh, But the reason I'm saying this is because actually as we enter into this new year, while we don't always know what the the year has to come, Hebrews 13.8 tells us this, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Which means that he is eternally trustworthy. And I think it's good to be reminded of that, not just at the start of a new year, but every day. Actually, we don't know what's going to come And actually, there are new things that God will have in store for us. And there are things of change that God will bring into our lives. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Okay, so it's a new year. We're going to be starting a new series. uh, But while it's a new series, we're actually going to be carrying through a thread from our Abide series that we finished the year with. Uh, And if you were here, if you remember, that Abide series was looking at Jesus' words to his disciples in John 15, where he uses this picture of of a vine and its branches, and he uses it as a picture of of what it is to to be found in him and to be rooted in him like a branch is to the vine, that he is the source of life. Uh, And that what you would expect from a branch in a vine is that it bears fruit. And as we remain in Christ, as uh, as we daily make that decision of faith, and trust and walk in with him, actually he will produce fruit in our lives and fruit that will last. And that's what we've been thinking through, this sense of what it is to abide, to remain in Jesus, and as we do so, to be a people, individually and corporately as a body, as a church, to be those that bear fruit for his kingdom as he produces that within us. And last week, Mike, was he, he drew that series to an end. And... And, and last week, and where Jesus finishes kind of with this picture, he actually, it seems like he changes direction a little bit because it, it appears to be less about uh, us and Jesus. And he says, actually, I've called you to love one another. This is the way that I want you to, to live out uh, in relationship with one another, with brothers and sisters. And it's like, actually, yeah, we're talking about uh, abiding and what it is to remain in Christ, but actually that informs the other relationships that we have. We can't see that as separate to other relationships and community, uh, sense of community that we have. Actually, it's what informs and shapes the way that we are with one another. And if we look at the life that Jesus lived, we actually see that Jesus lived his life in three, kind of in three relationships. You might have heard this being spoken about. It's quite a, a, a common way within kind of discipleship, teaching and training. They speak about Jesus having relationships in terms of the up, the in and the out. So in terms of the, primarily it's about his relationship upward with the Father, that that is the primary focus and prize relationship there. And that is the one that then shapes and informs the other relationships. But he also had relationships in terms of in with his chosen followers. But then also out with 
the world around him as well. So th- does that make sense? You follow me? So upwards with the Father, inwards with his chosen followers, and then outward with the world around him as well. And if we're thinking about what it is to abide, and we were looking uh, at the end of last year about wanting to be a people who are bearing fruit, uh, we're wanting to be those who uh, are experiencing fruitfulness in life. And actually, if we look at the way that Jesus lived, and if we look at this, this, um, this whole idea of, of the, these relationships in terms of up, in, and out, that can inform us how to experience fruitfulness in mission, how to experience fruitfulness in our relationships, and how to experience fruitfulness in our personal spiritual walk and in our personal walk with Jesus. So for us, in terms of up, our relationship with God, recognizing that that is ultimately the source of whatever fruitfulness we will have in our life comes from that relationship. But then there's also that dynamic, isn't there? That element of how we relate to one another within the church as brothers and sisters in Christ. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Because actually we've been called to make disciples of all nations. There's relationships and connections with those who don't yet know Jesus as well. And at the outset of this new year, we're going to spend some time in this, in this series considering how it is that we can go deeper when we're thinking about relationally in these different areas and these spaces, actually how we can go deeper in that. We don't want these things to remain on sort of a surface level. We want to really go deeper into what God has for us, trusting that as we do so, that we will see fruitfulness in all those areas. We're going to be spending five weeks. There's a lot that we could say about it and lots of places that we could go but we're going we're gonna to start this year just with five weeks uh, on this in the run up as Mike mentioned already to, to Pete coming in as an elder and I'd, if you were here for the, uh, the core series that we did we were thinking about values and the things that we hold to and I, I mentioned in the introduction to that that at my primary school we used to on our t-shirts and on our jumpers we had uh, the school logo and then there were five words around it. I tested Luke, he still remembered what they were, and those five words were live, love, look, listen, and learn. And actually as we're going into this series, this deeper series, we're going to use that as a bit of a framework, uh, and those five words use it as a framework, not in the sense, I don't want it, it's not that it's kind of gimmicky just having five L's, but actually what I hope is that it is, it's helpful uh, in, in helping us to be able to remember, in being memorable, and to be able to kind of uh, draw back to and draw on the things that we're going to be speaking about in this series. And so today we're going to be starting with the first of those words, which is live. We're going to be thinking about what it is to live. If you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18. I'm going to call it verse 18b. You'll see what I mean when you turn there. We're going to be jumping partway through that verse. But just while you're finding your way there, just to set the book of Philippians in context, realizing we're kind of jumping straight into, into a book, um, into one of Paul's letters, but we're just going to just set the context so we understand a little bit about where this is coming from. So this is a letter that Paul is writing to the church, uh, the, the, the Philippian church, church in Philippi. And at this point, Paul is under house arrest. He's in prison for his faith. He's in prison for being one who preaches the gospel and making Jesus known. And at this point, really, he's, he's not sure what the future holds for him. Okay, so he's under house arrest. He doesn't actually know, is there going to be a time when he's released? Potentially he could be facing the death penalty. And he's in this place of, of uncertainty. But he's writing this letter of uh, real encouragement to the church, really exhorting them to carry on, keep pressing on. Uh, and we, we spent a series working through this letter back in 2017, it was. Uh, and if you were here, you might remember we called that series Joy. 
That was what we, <laughs> that was what we, we called it. Uh, and, and the reason is, is because as you, as you work your way through this letter, actually it is, full of, of, it is full of joy. It is full of Paul speaking about the things that he's rejoicing in, about the joy that God is producing in his life. Realizing, we need to realize he's in prison. He's suffering for the sake of the gospel. He's suffering for his faith. And yet in the midst of it, he just speaks so much of being able to rejoice of how God is using his circumstances of the good things that God is continuing to do. And just in the verses that come immediately before the ones that we're going to read, Paul's actually saying, look, I'm, I'm rejoicing at this point in time, while I'm under house arrest, while I'm in this place of suffering, actually I'm rejoicing because this situation that I'm in, God is actually using for the advance of the gospel. And actually the gospel is being made known, perhaps in a way that wasn't going to be, that, that it wasn't going to be, if Paul wasn't in the situation that he is. <coughs> But the imperial guard, they know why Paul is... Word is spreading as to why Paul is in prison. Not only that, it's given other people boldness to go and proclaim Christ and to go and make him known. So in this, in this, uh, in this situation that he's finding himself, in these circumstances he's finding himself with this sense of, I don't know what the future holds for me, he's saying, actually I'm rejoicing because Jesus is being made known. And because people are coming to know him. And because lives are being changed and transformed. As people are found in Christ and live uh, a life of, of, of growing in maturity and Christ-likeness in him. So that's the context in which we're going to be uh, picking up this morning. So let's read from, it's going to be from partway through verse 18 through to 26. These are Paul's words. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, kind of throughout human history, uh, the arts have been a way in, in which people are able to express their thoughts, they're able to pose questions. Oftentimes, they're able to, a lot of people use it as a medium to, to, to pose and, and ask deep questions. Uh, and we see that throughout the arts, and I've been thinking a bit about it in terms of music. Uh, it's definitely not true that all artists use, their, use music in terms of asking deep questions. I mean, aga do do do, push pineapple, shake the tree. Aga do do do, push pineapple, grind coffee. <laughs> that song is there to get people dancing. It does what it's meant to do, but it's not the sort of thing that's going to keep you up at night and reflecting and thinking about what it might mean. Maybe it will now. Maybe I've missed something and I'm doing it a disservice. And have a chat with me if you're a, a uh, if you're a big if you're an aga doer, uh, you can take me to task on that one. But not not all of not all songs contain deep questions, but some of them do. And there's one song in particular by a band that I like called Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, and there's a line in one of their songs that pretty much from the first moment I heard it has really stuck with me. 
And in one of their songs, they, 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 there are these lines. It says, but I want something good to die for to make it beautiful to live. That's a deep, that poses deep questions. And that exposes something of what's going on in someone's heart and in someone's mind. I want something good to die for to make it beautiful to live. And as I've been thinking on that, particularly in, in the run-up to this morning, I'm thinking, actually, it raises questions about purpose. It raises questions about meaning, of this desire to have a, a purpose to live for, something to give your life to and to give your life for. Not only that, actually, is there something that, that we're prepared to lay our lives down for and to give ourselves for? Because actually, if there's something that we're prepared to, to die for and to lay our lives down for, that shapes what we live for, doesn't it? That shapes what we give ourselves to and how we live. And it's kind of, remember what we're saying about Paul when he's written this letter, within the context of not knowing what lies ahead of him, he doesn't know whether he's going to live or whether he's going to die. And yet in the verses that we've just read, purpose, life and death are what Paul addresses. You might be thinking, Sam, we're starting the new year on a new series. This seems quite a full-on thing to be talking about. Talking about life and death is maybe something that isn't particularly comfortable for us. And understandably, it provokes reactions and responses in each one of us. But the heart of this series is, is from a place of hope and desire that we go deeper into the things that God has for us. I can't make any of you go deeper in your relationship with God or your relationship with others. But my hope and my prayer is that each one of us would go deeper. And actually, if we want to, to go beyond kind of surface level things and we want to go deeper, that means asking the harder questions and having these conversations that maybe we, we might not ordinarily want to talk about. But actually, what these words of Paul, and I hope we'll see this hopefully as we go through this today, these are words that are full of hope. These are words that are full of surety. It's not about fear or anxiety or despair. Actually, remember, Paul's rejoicing. This is coming from a place of rejoicing. And in these verses, Paul lays out his overriding purpose. If you want to know what Paul is all about, you find out in these verses. He says that whatever lies ahead, whatever there is in store for me, with full courage, now as always, my desire is this, is that Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. That's his overriding purpose, that whatever happens... In his life that Christ is honoured. This is the central purpose of him. What he's given himself to is to honour Jesus always. That word honour we could also uh, translate or understand as magnify. What magnify means in terms of magnifying Jesus means to show that he is magnificent. That's Paul's overriding purpose. That's the thing that drives him. That's the thing that he's given his life for. Is to, make, is to show Jesus to be as magnificent as he truly is. <laughs> Remember, in the context of, of what we're writing into, Paul, just before, he's saying, look, I'm rejoicing because even in my circumstances, the gospel is being made known. Jesus is being made known. The gospel is advancing. And the reason he's able to say that is because the advancement of the gospel is everything to Paul. The advancement of the gospel, people coming into relationship with Jesus. People receiving new life, being born again. That is everything to him. Whatever that means for him, whatever that costs him, that's the thing that drives him. That's the thing that is central to him. 
His overriding purpose is to see Jesus glorified in his life, but also in the lives of others. He wants to see people increasing in faith. He wants to see people increasing in joy. He wants to see people increasing in their satisfaction in Jesus. That's everything to him. But Paul recognised that it's possible through life, but he's saying actually it's also possible through death to magnify Jesus and to honour him. By life or by death, Christ will be honoured in my body. And he continues when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I said uh, just a moment ago in terms of the the series and and the the five L's that we're going to be looking at, this one is live. And we're going to consider what it means uh, to live is Christ, what that means. But we can't fully understand what to live is Christ means. Uh, We can't understand that in isolation. You see, for Paul, the two things in terms of life and death, the two things are intertwined. And what we don't want to do is to to separate them in a way that Paul never intended to. And actually, in understanding one, it helps us to to, to more fully understand the other. My observation, and I... I could be completely wrong. Um, So I don't want to speak on behalf of of anyone else. But my observation is this. That from what what I see in conversations I have uh, through through media and different things, I would say that our culture sees death primarily as loss. That would be how I would understand it. I'd be happy to, to, to have a conversation about that if you would disagree with that. But I would see that our culture sees death primarily as loss. We see that in terms of when those people who were close to us have died. Don't we? we speak about it, don't we? We speak of, uh, of um, having lost loved ones. We experience and encounter loss. We, we grieve for what we no longer have. And I'm not, and what I'm going to say today, and even in bringing it up, I'm not trying to diminish that or to dismiss it. Actually, that's part of what it is to love people. And part of what it is to, to love and, and to be loved. There's that sense of of actually when we, we, we no longer have that person, we have that actually, we, we experience and we encounter loss and we experience grief and that's okay and it's right and I know I've said this before because it shows what someone has meant to us and actually if we look at Jesus, Jesus when he heard about Lazarus, he wept, didn't he? There was sorrow for him. So actually there is, uh, that, that, that there is definitely that element of loss when we think about death but we can, actually if we were to think about ourselves and how we might approach death or even think about it for us we might think about actually the family we have the friends we have the career we have the home we've built the things that we've acquired and we can see actually for death what death might mean is that actually we're we're losing those things we can see it as as loss actually i'm not sure i want it because i don't want to leave these people i don't want to leave these things these things are are dear and important to me i'm going to kind of come back to this a bit later but for paul He's saying that death is not lost, but death is gain. And this seems like a, it's speaking in terms of culture, this, seems, this is counter, counter-cultural thinking and a counter-cultural way of living that Paul is speaking into. He says this in verse 23. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. He's like, whether to live or to die, he's like, actually, there's, there's a pressure that comes because I don't actually know which, I don't actually know which, which one. He says, I'm hard-pressed on the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. For Paul, his desire, he's kind of saying, actually, if I could choose myself, my desire, I want to I, I depart. 
And he doesn't see it as lost, but he says, I want to depart because it's far better. And the reason he says it's far better is because it means that he will be with Jesus. It's actually, I want to be with Jesus. Because that is far better than anything else I could ever gain. Anything else I could ever have. As I was thinking on this, I was reminded of that moment when Jesus was on the cross and there's the two, the two guys being crucified next to him. Aren't they? And one of them in that moment, he recognises who Jesus is. And he puts his faith in Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. That security and that assurance that actually that day he would be face to face with Jesus in paradise for eternity. And I feel like Paul, Paul understood that. Paul got that. Paul knew that. He knew that actually that is the thing he wanted above all things. To be with Christ. To be with Christ. I don't think Paul's not speaking out of despair. He's not speaking out of a place of fear. Actually, he's speaking out of, uh, out of fierce conviction and sure hope. He's speaking these words out of fierce conviction and sure hope. Over Christmas uh, and our Christmas services, if you were here on both of our, our Christmas services, we were focusing on John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Paul knows what he has in Jesus. And it's because he knows what he has in Jesus that he is able to say with sure hope, actually, I know the best thing for me is that there's going to be a day where I'm going to be face to face with Jesus. And that is far better than anything else. Another way of putting it is this. We were, just, we were singing a song, weren't we? About Jesus, my treasure. For Paul, Jesus is his ultimate treasure. He knows that death will deliver him into the immediate presence of Jesus. And that's a reality that's not just true of Paul. It's not just Paul that was special in some way. What does John 3.16 say? That whoever, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Actually, what Paul knew to be true, what Paul knew was awaiting him is true for each one of us as well. And I don't mean this, to, I, I'm not meaning this in a, in a blasé way. Because I realise that these are, are, are deep and difficult things to speak about. But actually there, there is no fear for us who are in Christ Jesus. Because actually we know what awaits us is eternity with him. And as Paul trusts his future to God, he's settled that this life, that his life, however long, will be all about Jesus. reading something by uh, a guy called Matt Chandler. He's a pastor in the States. And um, on these verses, he says this. He says that our culture exalts human relationships, achievement, and skill. It says to live is my family. To live is my job. To live is my talent. And what it does is it makes good things ultimate instead of letting good things point us to the ultimate good of Christ. We can put these other things in the place where Jesus should be. And he goes on to say, it's not that there aren't good things. It's not that there aren't blessings to be had or gifts given to us by God to be enjoyed. Of course these things exist. But none are greater than Christ. Those gifts are given so that our worship 
and enjoyment of Christ might increase. And actually, sometimes they're withheld so that our worship of Christ will stay where it should. In fact, Christ alone is worthy of an entire life's affection and devotion, and he's worthy of an eternity's more. We can make good things the ultimate thing. We can actually, and and maybe sometimes without even consciously doing it, we can live for, for good things. That they're the things that shape us, and they're the things that drive us, and they're the things that motivate us, rather than actually having and recognising Jesus as the ultimate thing in the way that Paul did. Paul picks up on this a little later in his letter. If you want to turn over, maybe in your Bibles it might just be one page, uh, we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 3. I mean, Paul kind of develops this idea. Uh, he says, going to pick up partway through verse 4, he says that I myself have, uh, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a prosecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may find Christ. I have Christ and be found in him. Now on the one hand, what Paul's doing, he's acknowledging that whatever confidence he has before God isn't in himself. It's not about his family history. It's not about belonging to a particular people group. It's not about how he measures up in terms of his efforts against God's law. He's saying, actually, I don't, there's nothing. I have no confidence in anything of myself. Whatever confidence I have is in, is in the person and work of Christ. But in a way, what he's also saying is this, is that he prized Jesus above every other thing. He prized Jesus above his heritage. He prized Jesus above his education. He prized Jesus above his training. He prized Jesus above his career. To the extent where he says all of these things, indeed all things he considered lost compared to what? Compared to knowing Christ. It's about knowing Christ. It's about relationship with with the creator God. It's about a relationship with the one who through, through him and for him and by him all things were created. He's the Lord of all creation and as the Lord of all creation he's the one who hung on a cross and died for us and yet rose again meaning that we have confidence that what happened to Jesus will happen to us and we can know this Jesus Paul says every other thing in life it's not that they're bad things in fact God gives us many good things many blessings for us to enjoy but Paul says compared to knowing Jesus these things don't compare I consider all of those things lost I don't want any of those things to come and take the place that Jesus should have in my heart and in my mind and in my being. Do you know, it's also possible for the things we do for God to take the place of knowing Him. It's possible for the things that we do for God to actually take the place that He should have. And we end up living in a way where we're, rather than saying to live is Christ, we're saying to live is church. 
or to live his ministry or however we might word it. And actually they're good things. They're things that God has got. There are things and purposes and plans that God has in store for us. And we're called to do those things. But actually we have to be careful that we don't turn those things or put them in the place where, where Jesus himself should be. Actually we consider all things lost. Have you ever thought about that? We can consider church lost. We can consider whatever gifts we have lost. We can consider whatever areas we serve in as lost compared to knowing Jesus Christ. That is the, that is the, the main thing. That is the central thing. You see, Paul's purpose comes out of deep relationship with Jesus. Which is why we wanted to start this series as we're thinking about deeper. This is really a, a good place for us to start. Because his purpose comes out of the depth of relationship that he has with Jesus. What he lives for, what he gives himself for, comes from that place. In my preparation for today, I came across a question that really made me, I kind of tilt my head to one side and kind of, ooh, ooh, I don't know, that made me feel a little uncomfortable in reading it. I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to explain why in a minute. This is what someone was writing this is how they worded it. They said, what is your Christianity to you? Or what is your, you could put it another way, what is your relationship and walk with God to you? They said, does it define you? Or is it just another way of describing you? And in that moment I was like, oh, that made me pause and think. And, you know, there might be people here who are much better than English at me and might understand that in a different way. But actually, what is your Christianity to you? Does it define you? Or is it just another way of describing you? got me thinking on my Twitter profile uh, it says this about me it says follower of Jesus husband dad elder sports fan there are ways in which I can be described there are things that describe who I am and we could all we could all do that if someone say can you describe who you are we might be able to reel off, reel off a list of, of things we could do many many things couldn't we but actually Is your relationship with Jesus just another way of describing you? Just another thing about you? Or is it the thing that defines you in the sense that is my relationship with God the thing that defines me, that shapes my life? Where I find my purpose? Where I find my meaning? And that question has really got me thinking. Does my relationship with Jesus actually define who I am? And I think it's a question that we all need to ask ourselves as well. Galatians 2, verse 20. Paul writing again, he says that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What Paul is saying is this, is that a Christian's entire life is found in Christ. It's the relationship that defines and shapes all our other relationships. Jesus was not just a part of Paul's life. His relationship with Jesus wasn't just another way in which he could be described, or just a a descriptor of who he is. Which meant that Paul was able to say this, Paul was able to say, actually for me to live is, for me to live is Christ. We're going to just spend a few moments now, just as we come into close, just by exploring this, uh, exploring how Paul honoured Jesus by his life. Let's jump back to verse 22. Again, Paul says that if I am to live in the flesh, 
that means fruitful labour for me. If you were here for the Abide series, uh, it should be the, the talk of being fruitful. The talk of, sorry, am I getting in the way of the screen? The talk of fruitful labour should be something that we're actually connecting back to. Hang on a minute, we thought about this when we were talking about abiding. When Jesus was saying about abiding, about remaining in him, it was all for the purpose of what? Of bearing fruit. Of bearing fruit that will last. That there are the things that God has called us to, plans and purposes that he has called us to, in order to see fruit come of it. And Paul is saying, actually, for me to live as Christ, part of that is, for me, life is it's fruitful labour. It's about giving myself for the things of the kingdom and allowing Jesus to use those things to bear fruit in, in my life and in the lives of others. In the Abide series, we were thinking about actually what is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? And we said that this fruit is its transformed character. It's about fruitfulness in the works that God has called us to. It's about seeing lives impacted and changed by Jesus. Seeing salvation come and seeing disciples made of all nations. It's about labouring for the kingdom, bearing fruit that Jesus will produce as we abide in him. Paul is saying, actually for me, this is what I'm going to give my life for. I'm going to be someone who abides in Jesus. That that relationship is, is the primary relationship by which all my other relationships are lived out from. And that as I remain in him, as I abide in him, he will produce fruit in me as I labour with him. He's like, that's what my life, that's what I'm giving my life for. That's what I'm giving myself for. It's all about the kingdom. It's all about people encountering Jesus and the gospel being advanced. Paul knew that to live for Christ meant pouring out his life for others. Paul knew that, pouring out, uh, that living, to live for Christ meant pouring out his life for others. And he goes on to say this. He says, actually, his heart is to see the church progressing. To see the church maturing in faith. To see their joy and satisfaction in Jesus grow. It says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you. All, continue with you all for your progress and for your joy in the faith. That's what he wanted to give himself to. So that other people would see Jesus the same way that he did. That other people would enjoy Jesus the same way that he does. That people's joy would increase in Jesus the same way that his joy has increased. That their satisfaction would increase in the way that his satisfaction has increased. He's like, I'm not going to keep this to myself. I'm going to give my life to, to pouring myself out so that other people are experiencing that as well. John Piper says this. He says that the upshot of Paul's life is that other people are making much of Jesus by being joyful in Jesus and boasting in Jesus. This is what it means for Paul to say to live is Christ. To live is Christ means to live, to be the means of other people making Christ look magnificent by finding Christ to be their supreme treasure and their greatest satisfaction. I know Pete's used this before in a sermon. And I think it's something that Piper said that sticks with Pete a lot. Is this, is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. See, Paul's heart is that people's satisfaction in Jesus would increase. And as that does so, Jesus himself is glorified. It magnifies him. It honours him. It shows him to be, as, to, to be as magnificent as he really is. It brings him glory. And this is what led Paul to say, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Whatever life Jesus has for me, however long 
Jesus has called me to be here. Whatever life he has for me, actually I recognise it's more necessary for me to be here because there are things God has called me to for your benefit and for your sake in seeing your joy increase and your progress of faith increase and your your satisfaction in him increase. He is willing to stay so that unbelievers may come to know Christ and believers grow closer to him. Jesus is at the centre of everything for Paul. Whether he lives or dies, it's all about Jesus. I just want you to think for a minute. Imagine the guards who have been called to, to guard Paul as he's under house arrest. I want you to imagine them coming up to him and saying, Paul, we're hearing rumour that you're going to be executed. What's Paul's response going to be? I say, actually, it is, he's like, actually, it is far better that I go because I'm going to be with Christ and I'm going to see him. Think what the, the guards must have felt like, oh, hang on. Whatever kind of ammunition we thought we had against him is gone. He's saying, actually, do you know what? That, that is far better than anything I can imagine. And so instead they say, actually, we're not going to do that, Paul. Instead, we're going to let you live, uh, but you're going to suffer instead. And Paul says, do you know what? That's okay as well. Because if I live, life for me means fruitful labour. Life for me means pouring myself out so that the gospel advances. So it doesn't matter what you throw at me. Whether you throw life at me, whether you throw death at me, it's all okay. Because I'm certain and I'm secure of who I am in Christ and I know what waits for me. And I know that whatever life God has given me, I'm going to use it for fruitful labour and making him known and seeing people grow in their satisfaction and joy in him. I don't know if those conversations ever happened, but those guards had nothing that they could throw at him. What freedom Paul knew, what joy he knew, what hope he knew. But he didn't know it out of understanding or out of circumstance, but he knew it in Jesus. This is the same freedom we can know. This is the same joy that we can know. This is the same hope that we can know. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Shall we pray? We're going to pray and then we're going to come and we're going to sing in Christ alone. Just as a way of responding to this. That actually it is in Jesus that we have our hope. Only in Jesus. There's a line in that song that says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Let's sing this song as a declaration of of who Jesus is and of what he's done for us. Let's pray.